Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. Welcome to this week's episode of Renew Theology. Today is the first episode in a three-part series that we are doing on the Old Testament law. This week's episode is pretty much just the law 101. So Bethany and I are going to be talking about what the law is, what it isn't. We're going to be talking about its historical context. um, And we're also going to be talking a little bit about who it was written to, um, which many of you know, of course, is the Hebrew people and what influence that that has on the law and on our interpretation of it today. Okay, so the Old Testament law, which is commonly found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, um, is actually a misnomer. So the word law doesn't really exist in Hebrew. What the title is, is instruction. So when we think of law, we think of rights and wrongs. When we think of instruction, you more think of ways in which to live your life. So God has given his people, the Israelites, um, instructions on how he wants them to live their lives as his set-apart people. So the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, um, and it was from God, and he, God wrote it on clay tablets that Moses brought down to the people. So it's given to the nation of Israel— aka not Christians. And because Christians, like nowadays, you couldn't follow it if you tried. First of all, we have no temple. We have no sacrificial system. We have no priests. So there's so many of those parts that you can't even follow. Um, And think of it more as, instead of like law, capital L, think of it as terms of an agreement or terms of God's covenant with his people. These are the ways in which you're going to interact with each other. Similar to if Emily and I were going on a road trip and she's like, okay, I'll drive. And I'm like, okay, I'll bring snacks. Oh, and by the way, no more than one bathroom break an hour. And we come up with these little list of guidelines for our trip. And like, by the way, we're not starting at every single, stopping at every single flea market. And like just all those little rules that would govern what we're doing together. So it's like the terms of an agreement. So although there are varying opinions on how many laws there are, the most common total given is that there are 613 laws. And the reason there are some variants is because some of them are repeated or so some people would take some laws and say, no, these really are the same instruction. Um, And others would say, no, there's this slight difference or whatever. And so this is really an ancient law code. And what I mean by that is that it is different from our current law codes. So in North American society today, um, we have laws that have been written down and established in our society. And if somebody breaks that law and needs to go to court, they are required to defend themselves against charges that have been laid against them. You often hire a lawyer because lawyers know more about the law than you do. And they're able to find loopholes and all this sort of thing to help you defend yourself. And this is very different from how the ancient law code worked. So if I was an Israelite wandering through the desert and I broke the law, um, I would be brought before one of the judges in Israel. Moses had broken up authority because everybody was coming to just him with with their problems and it was too much for him to handle. And so every tribe had 
its own leaders and you know it was almost like sort of our supreme court system where you have like local courts and provincial courts and supreme courts and that's sort of how it was but if you broke the law you would go to one of these judges and the judge did not open up the law find the exact thing you did and mete out that exact punishment rather you were pretty much left at the mercy of the judge judges were chosen based on their character and their wisdom not based on their understanding of the law you may commit a crime you may break the law in a way and be dealt one punishment and somebody else could do the same thing and be dealt another punishment because it was actually very much up to each judge and the law existed more as an example than it did as a binding hard and fast rule so that can really mess with our heads in today's culture because we have a totally different cultural understanding of what it means to break the law and what it means to be brought before a judge and have a punishment given to you. But in that context, that's what it looked like to be judged for what you did. In fact, it goes so far as that back then the judges, um, they didn't have to be an expert in the law. In fact, their only requirements were to fear God and to love mercy. So fearing God would be the justice aspect and loving mercy would also be the the God aspect of that equation. Carrying out of the law was to be case-related based on the specific issue. So most of the time you're being brought before a judge who lives in the same town you do and they know you. So you're not going to get away with anything. They know that you've done this 15 times before. Your punishment's going to be more severe and that's left up to the, the discretion of the judge. So another thing is that this is not a behavior rule book. A lot of people are like, oh, the Bible is is the rules for living or the way of life. Like you can find and that's it's kind of true, but not really like my favorite acronym is basic instructions before leaving Earth. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen that one before. Um, So if we look at the actual law, we have two types, moral and ritual law. So God gave the new nation of Israel laws to be followed to set them apart as his people. So he had set apart his people back with Abraham and moved him to a new place. And then when his son's son's grandkids were having a hard time being separate um, from the Canaanites, there were circumstances that led them to be in Egypt and that set them apart even more. And now that they are going back into the land, God wants to make sure that they are set apart. So there are laws for ritual cleansing. Now this is because God is holy. And so... An example would be you couldn't go to the temple if you had touched a dead animal or buried a relative, um, if you were menstruating, if you had a skin disease, etc. So you wouldn't be ritually clean and would not be allowed into the temple. So then you have the laws for sacrifice, which could be to atone for sin or as a peace offering or as a fellowship offering. And these are how to offer different sacrifices and what they were for. So burnt offering, sin offering, guilt offering, grain offering, peace offering. And we're going to have more about these in the next episode. So stay tuned. Um, And then there are laws for judicial purposes. So this is including case law. So this is how to live as God set apart people. Um, Some examples are the law about having an eye for an eye. Or basically if you cause injury in someone else, you receive that injury back. Um, What to happen? 
what happens if someone murders someone? What happens if someone steals, someone commits adultery, someone um, assaults someone else, accidental killing, etc. It lays out what's going to happen or what God wishes to happen in each of these circumstances. So if you're looking at the all of this together, you might think, oh man, a lot of rules, like a lot of stuff, but maybe you don't think it's very good, but the law is good. The law shows God's wisdom and it shows our inability to live up to his wisdom. It's the core ideal of wisdom that the laws apply. According to Jewish tradition, the law is pretty much the first main part of the Old Testament, and the other main part is the prophets. I'm sure you've heard of some of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. These were some of the major prophets, and then there were 12 minor prophets as well. And the prophets point to a time when people will follow God and live by wisdom. So they're always looking ahead. Um, Israel failed miserably in terms of following the law, and we feel miserably every day in terms of following God's law. But the prophets were pointing to a time in the future when everybody will follow God's law because it will be written on their hearts and we will follow the law because we want to, not because we are fighting our flesh in order to keep his commands. And of course, we know that the starting point of that time that the prophets were pointing to is Jesus. So when he came, he, of course, defeated sin and death in dying on the cross and um, being raised back to life. And so we know that he is the place where our willing obedience starts. So the law is boiled down to a few core elements. We see this both in the Old and New Testament. Um, There are times when different people, different writers, um, actually summarize what the law is. As we mentioned earlier, 613 laws, but this is when it's being boiled down to essentially a sentence. Um, So one place we see this is in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, very commonly recited verse. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So that was one area where Micah really summarized what the law is. Another place we see this is Exodus chapter 20, which of course has the 10 commandments listed. And we know that those are not all the commands, but they do summarize them in a respect. We also see Jesus do this in the New Testament um, when somebody approaches him and says, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. And I'm summarizing there. I'm paraphrasing there. But that is Jesus' response to that question. And although it sounds really easy to do, (laughs) to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, um, it's really not. Because Jesus also explains, you know, even though you may not murder, you if you hate somebody, you're committing murder in your heart because that is not love. 
or you may not commit adultery, but if you are lusting after somebody, then that is not love and you're breaking that commandment. And so he essentially says that all the laws that have been given to the people are in place to give them a guideline of what it means to love each other, which is very powerful. In um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here, even way back in Deuteronomy, we have the laws boiled down to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. And this is said to Israel specifically. This is called the Shema, which um, Jewish people will say multiple times a day and in different circumstances. And it's basically a signifier to remind them. And they'll say that those verses from verse 4 to 9, and it's to, to remind them to do those things. So it's summarizing the law. In doing research for this, the Bible Project has a couple episodes about um, on, on their podcast about the law, as well as some videos. And so, interestingly enough, they have a very different idea of what the Old Testament law, what we have, what that is defined as. And so they believe that what we have in the Bible is not the whole law as was given to the people of Israel by God through Moses, but it's a representation of the laws and then stories of how the Israelites broke them. So let's go back to the story of Emily and I going on a trip. So if we sat down and we wrote out all these guidelines for how we're going to conduct ourselves while on this trip together, and then we went and retold the story when we got home to our other friends... We're not going to show them these these laws that we wrote down because that's kind of boring because there's going to be a bunch of them. We're probably just going to summarize the couple ones and then tell stories about how they were broken. Well, if we're talking about the biblical story, it'd be like Emily was driving and Bethany promised not to change the radio. And like 10 seconds into the drive, I changed the radio. And then Bethany had said, please don't do more than one stop an hour. And Emily's stopping like every five minutes. <laughs> and then Emily said, also, please don't eat in my car. And I'm like eating chips. Like, like I step in the car and I'm eating chips. And then I said, Emily, can we please not stop at a motel? I want to stop at a hotel. <laughs> and the whole time, Emily's like, Bethany, look, another motel, another motel. And she's serious, not kidding. I was like, that's how they, they're saying um, the, what the laws that we have are showing. So in fact, if you watch their video, which we'll probably link at some point, um, the Israelites are given a couple laws and then the stories afterwards show how they break them. So you, this is pretty clearly seen in how the 10 commandments were given. So the very first commandment is, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of safe slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Number two, do not make an idol for yourself whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing unfailing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Okay, what do the Israelites do? Why, after they've heard this and Moses is going back up the mountain, they take all their gold from Egypt, melt it down, make a golden calf, sit there and worship it. 
Like this is the exact same thing about me eating chips in Emily's car and Emily talking about making stops every five minutes. Like this is the same thing. Which I do feel the need to point out that road trip analogy is just an analogy that's never happened. Well, we've been on road trips, but we've never made laws about our road trips. <laughs> that's true. And we're pretty good about being respectful. But yeah, so it's it's an analogy. So what they're saying is that what we have written in the Old Testament is not all the laws It's the laws that were chosen specifically to show how the people failed to follow them, um, if that makes sense. So this is is a new concept for me um, very recently in the past month. So I've been working through it, but I do see how it fits with the story. Um, And you, and I'm not fully convinced like 100% absolutely. I think that the Bible is very nuanced and complicated. Um, And so I want to do some more research But if you have any thoughts on this, you should comment on Facebook or Instagram or email us or whatever, and you can hear all the ways to do that at the end of the show. We'd love to have some dialogue on this topic, as well as anything else that you hear in our podcast. So we don't want to go into too much more detail about the law because we don't want to spoil the next couple of episodes that are coming up. So keep your eye out for those in the coming weeks. Um, But for now, we're going to move into our question of the week. This past weekend was a long weekend for us here in Canada. And the official name of the holiday Monday is Victoria Day. Yeah, a lot of the time we just call it May Long Weekend or May 2-4 Weekend. Um, So our question is, what is your favorite way to spend a long weekend? May Long Weekend is always nice because it's right before all of the end of school stuff for the elementary and high school kids. And I usually, in the past five years, had just gotten home from school, um, from university. So it was my first time to kind of chill with my family. Since being home, um, our church has a, well, we usually have fireworks on the Sunday night of the week-long weekend um, with like a barbecue, and I've loved spending that time just as a church family and hanging out and playing games and eating food and enjoying each other's company. This year it rained, and so we didn't get to go, which was not very fun, but normally that's what we do May-long weekend. If we're going to do a long weekend, we like to play games as a family. Although today they cleaned out our garage. (laughs) So basically getting ready for spring and just enjoying ourselves and like getting some extra rest in before the week starts again. That's what we like to do. What what do you do on long weekends? Yeah, a lot of the same. Um, This weekend we did yard work, worked on some house renovations. Um, In the past, William and I have gone camping on May long weekend. We did that a couple of years ago, which was nice, but it's kind of too cold to like swim or anything like that. Um, So yeah, we just did like some gardening and it's very satisfying to put like new mulch on the flower beds. So that was exciting. Um, But yeah, we mostly just sort of do housework or spend some time with family, go out for supper, those sorts of things. So we had a very nice chill weekend. Actually, it was really nice. Good. All right, I have some history for you about Victoria Day. So for those listeners that are not in Canada or part of the British Commonwealth, um, this weekend, Victoria Day, which is like the Monday makes it a long weekend, is the birthday 
of Queen Victoria. So Queen Victoria reigned from 1837 till 1901, the Victorian era, which spanned um, a very long, the 63 years and 217 days, was a game changer for European and North American history. So she made a big, big impact on Canada since we formed as a country um, during her reign in, of course, 1867. And so we decided to honor her with a holiday. So the Queen's birthday is actually May 24th, 1819. Um, So it's celebrated the Monday between the 18th and the 24th of May. So it's called the penultimate Monday of May. So it's actually um, also the current Canadian sovereign's official birthday. So Queen Elizabeth was not born May 24th, but we celebrate her birthday on a different day than she was actually born um, because they want the weather to be nice for all the celebrations that are going on. So she has a real birthday and she has an official birthday. That's not confusing at all. Um, So Queen Victoria, she's quite a few monarchs ago. So just some quick history. So she reigned, like I said, from 1837 to 1901. Her oldest son, Prince um, Albert, became King Edward. He reigned until 1910. And then when he died, his son, George, um, reigned. And when he died in 1836, his son, Edward, um, then became king. But he abdicated because he wanted to go get married to a divorced woman, which is not okay. And so his younger brother, George, then became the king. And that's why we have Queen Elizabeth, who is his oldest daughter. So she was never meant to be queen, um, but she did because her uncle wanted to be married to Wallace Simpson more than he wanted to be the king of the British Empire. So the current reigning monarch is now Elizabeth II. So she was born on the 21st of April, um, but her actual birthday is not going to be celebrated until the second Saturday of June when the weather's nicer. So there's your bit of history for the day. That's really interesting to me and also hilarious. The fact that they gave her a different birthday so celebrations would be more fun. Yes. Because of the weather. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, you're the Queen of England. Do whatever you want. They've actually been doing this since the late 1700s. That's so interesting. I know. I had no idea that when we were celebrating like Victoria Day, we were sort of celebrating the current monarch's birthday as well. Yeah. The thing is you learn. Well, it's interesting living in Canada too, because technically we're a part of the British Commonwealth is the word. Um, and I, But I don't consider the queen to be my queen much. No, like we, like she's technically the queen. And because Canada has never like declared itself independent like the United States did, she still technically is the queen. We We operate independently, but we do not... You know, we did not sever all ties with England and say we refuse to be associated with you. We didn't go to war. Right. Um, so now in Canada, the official Queen's representative is the governor general, which in the past has been more of a figurehead position, but it's now turning into a super political one. And basically it's just, hey, I'm the Queen's representative and I'm going to sign off on everything you do. And rarely is there actually any problem. So, yeah. So once a bill like is passed through Parliament and like you know, checks all the boxes in the parliament. It does require a signature from the governor general before it become become law. And that governor general, like Bethany said, is the representative of the king queen. or queen. Monarch, whatever. Is a representative of the monarch. Um, but it's very, very rarely happened that they actually refuse to sign on something that has already been approved through parliament. Yeah. 
she's Queen Elizabeth II is a pretty amazing person. I don't know if any of you watched The Crown, like the, the Netflix show The Crown, but it was really interesting. And she's, I mean, she's a Christian. You should listen to her Christmas messages. And it's going to be really sad when she when she passes. Okay, so after all that history rambling, we're going to close the show. <laughs> so you've been listening to the Renew Theology Podcast with Bethany and Emily. You can find us on Facebook at the Renew Theology Podcast, where you talk to me. Or you can find us on Instagram at Renew Theology, and you can talk to Emily. We also have an email, renewtheology at gmail.com. You can shoot us emails there. Um, you can private message us on Facebook. Um, we'd love to discuss any of the things we've talked about or anything else, you know, religious life related. Um, so get in touch. All right. And I have a request. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please hit those stars. Um, please give us a five review or if not, if you don't believe we deserve it, um, or rating and leave us a review. We'd love to read what you think and it just helps other people to find our podcast. Um, our our prayer and our hope and our goal is that we are able to share with other people um, and that it influences their faith and bolsters them and encourages them. And the more people that can it can reach, the better. So please, 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 rating and review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share it with all your friends. Um, and don't forget, this is the first in a three-part series on the Old Testament Law. So stay tuned for next week. Bye.